You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. That cold snap is sending temperatures plummeting on the south coast. And the freezing conditions are triggering a number of warnings. Our Jennifer Palma is out in the elements tonight for us with more on the cold and the impacts of it. Jen. Yeah, everyone that we can see, they're moving fast, trying to stay warm and bundling up, but not everyone can do that. Don't let that sun fool you. It's cold out there, and the wind is deepening the chill. Overnight in Vancouver, it dipped to minus 6. Add in the wind chill, minus 10 is what it felt like. Yeah, I feel cold. It's sunny, and I feel cold. This year, honestly, there was um, a few of the nights this year that was like the coldest nights in the last three years. At the Union Gospel Mission, they're running at capacity and having to turn people away. 25 just last night. The cold weather is really sinking in, and now it's going to get worse and continue. So this is real. The risk is real. This could be deadly. The city of Vancouver is also making sure its three low barrier warming centers like this one. The West End Community Center is ready for those in need to have a place to spend the night. 537 people in Vancouver are living on the streets right now. We have an outreach team that goes out early in the morning and certainly on nights like this in the evening as well, trying to get the word out. You know, they know where people are, where people are staying, where the tents are. Overnight it got frosty. Today, crews were out salting and sanding, getting rid of any leftover snow and ice from this weekend's snowfall. Statistics of how many people came into emergency this weekend. They say there was an increase in admissions associated. The falls in themselves can really be quite catastrophic. So 95% of all hip fractures are actually due to falls. So um, when you do fall, you do have a greater risk of sustaining a fracture and certainly with a harder ground. But after weeks of rain, many are enjoying the sun with a round of golf or a walk, even if they have a cast on before the next predicted snowstorm hits us this week. All right, and if you want to make sure that you don't end up here at an emergency room because of a fall, make sure you have the proper footwear. And yeah, bundle up tight. It is chilly out here, and it's expected to get a little bit colder, potentially. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Jen. And to talk more about that, the cold that's sticking around, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us. And uh, possibility of seeing some snow later, Christy. That's right. Now, so if this graph gives you a good perspective of how cold it really is, average for this time of year is 8 degrees. In the coming days, we are going to see highs of 3 or less. Even over the weekend when things warm up, we're not back to that 8 degrees. And here's your forecasted overnight lows across the lower mainland. All areas well below zero. And uh, with the winds, you could expect these temperatures to be even lower by another 3 or 4 degrees. Now, tonight, we do have a slight chance of flurries across Vancouver Island. Lower mainland has a slight chance of flurries on Wednesday, but really the next big snow event is set for Friday into our Saturday morning. These numbers give you a perspective of how much snow we could see, but keep in mind we're still days away. This is just a heads up at this point. All right, thanks for that, Christy. Very hidden. Holy cow. A dramatic close call in Richmond caught on dash cam. The difference between life and death for a pedestrian measured in just centimeters. That is one of a growing number of shocking incidents captured on camera as more people install dash cams in their vehicles. 
Grace Key has more on what police say about the technology and how it can help in such cases. Alan Wilson was heading out to Richmond on Sunday with his friends, and as always, he puts up his dash cam before he drives off. Finally decided one Christmas, hey, maybe I should get one of these dash cams. Maybe it'll come in handy one day. And it has in the past, and then it did yesterday as well. He's recorded mostly red light runners, but nothing like what happened on Sunday. At about 1.30 p.m., he was headed south on number one road near Westminster Highway when he stopped at a crosswalk for a pedestrian. It was tough to see him in the shadows. Very hidden. An orange SUV swerved around Alan's car, nearly hitting the man. You all good? All right. Had he taken, I think, one more step, that could have been his leg right in front of that car. Um, Luckily, he didn't. But had he gone a little bit further, I think it would have been a lot, it could have been a lot worse for sure. The driver went on for a few more blocks before turning on a residential street. Allen sent the video to Richmond RCMP along with the license plate number. He never saw the driver. Police can't comment specifically about this case, but say they can issue tickets even if the driver hasn't been identified. If we can't identify the driver, then the registered owner is ultimately responsible for their vehicle, who's driving it, and in the manner in which it's being driven, and we can issue tickets to a registered owner. Alan bought his dash cam for $150 on Amazon about three years ago, and he says it's been a great investment. It's a good thing, too, uh, having all these vehicles and with these cameras on the road, being able to record these things that many years ago were never even noticed. Richmond RCMP say they will be following up on this incident. Grace Key, Global News. A home in Port Coquitlam was sprayed with bullets overnight. RCMP are now investigating after shots rang out on Ulster Street just before 9 o'clock. Witnesses say someone leaned out of a passing vehicle and fired at the home. Bullets also shattered the rear window of an SUV parked in the driveway. No one was hurt. RCMP say the people who live here are known to them. And police have now identified 45-year-old Donald Kelly of Burnaby as the victim of a homicide in Coquitlam over the weekend. RCMP were called to Sylvan Place and Riverview Crescent just after 10 Friday night following reports of shots fired. Kelly was found injured inside his vehicle. He was rushed to hospital but did not survive. A car, which investigators believe is connected to the incident, was later found on fire nearby. An alleged groping incident led to a code yellow at several schools in Delta today. The incident happened around 10 o'clock this morning near Siaquam Secondary. A woman was walking on the track at the school when she reported being groped from behind. A police dog was brought in, but the man was not located. The code yellow at the schools cancels or delays outdoor activities, and unauthorized personnel are not permitted to enter the building. Anyone who has information about this incident is asked to call Delta Police. More fallout tonight from allegations of sexual misconduct against the B.C. rock band Headley. The band now says it has withdrawn from consideration for three awards at this year's Junos. The band's scheduled performance had already been cut from the show. A statement says the band members also plan to, quote, Talk about how we have let some people down and what we intend to do about it, end quote. Last week, the pop rockers were dropped by their management team and by many radio stations. BC's battling back in an escalating fight with Alberta over the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Today, our province launched a formal challenge against Alberta's ban on BC wine. 
Reporter Richard Zussman joins us from Victoria with more on the dispute and B.C.'s move. Richard. Chris, the B.C. government has been chatting about this for the last week or so, saying that what Alberta has done in terms of banning B.C. wine from being shipped across the Rockies is actually illegal. But today they made the request formal. They say that Alberta breached the rules under the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, and they are now asking for consultations. But those consultations could take upwards of 120 days, obviously concerning for the B.C. wine industry that has been hit hard by the fact Alberta will no longer accept BC wines. Today, uh, Trades Minister Bruce Ralston spoke about what BC is doing. There's a, a violation of the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, an important agreement signed by all provinces and territories. And we're standing up for the BC wine industry, BC businesses and BC jobs. In this tit-for-tat, Chris, the Alberta government also responding in a statement. Darren Billis, the Minister of Economic Development and Trade, wrote, The government of British Columbia is taking direct aim at the jobs and economic security of hundreds of thousands of Canadians, including tens of thousands of British Columbians, by threatening to limit what can go inside a pipeline, which they don't have the authority to do, Chris. All right, so BC has uh, fired back, but what do we know about Alberta's next step? What, What could they do next? Yeah, Chris, they promised on Friday, Premier Rachel Notley did, that Alberta will take next steps against B.C. One possible target will be B.C.'s tourism industry. We are hearing from the B.C. Liberals today that they are already hearing that uh, resort owners and hoteliers uh, near the eastern part of the province are seeing Albertans uh, cancel reservations there. And Alberta's Premier may tell more Albertans to stay away from B.C. and their popular tourism spots, Chris. Oh, they'll be missed if they do. Thanks very much, Richard. <laughs> You're welcome. Meantime, tomorrow, the B.C. NDP will deliver its first budget in 16 years. And while affordable housing will be among the initiatives, as Keith Baldry reports, one topic is expected to dominate the conversation. Oh, no. Pete stepped in a large pile of... Apples. Strawberries. The backdrop of any finance minister's pre-budget day photo op is supposed to provide a clue of sorts about what to expect when the budget is actually released. So it was no coincidence that Finance Minister Carol James went to a daycare centre this morning. Improved childcare will be a big part of her first budget. It will be a program for British Columbia. It will be a program that fits the needs of parents and communities and businesses today. And it won't stop at better childcare. This budget will improve services in many areas. It's the people of this province who built the strong economy. And so I think that's the difference you will see is that this will be a budget focused on the people of this province. And it won't be either or. It'll also be a budget focused on how we strengthen the economy. But the NDP's successful election campaign last May was propelled by some pretty lofty promises, whether it was $10 a day childcare or some kind of magic solution to the housing crisis, something the Green Party is hoping to see. Some form of speculation tax, enabling uh, vacancy taxes for people to, municipalities to do that. Obviously, we'd like to see a a New Zealand-style offshore money form of buyer's ban as well. Whether that comes, I'm not so sure. But the B.C. Liberals warn it will be impossible for the NDP to keep those promises in tomorrow's budget. I think it would be very difficult for them to, uh, to uh, do this without uh, some substantial uh, tax increases or uh, putting the um, fiscal situation into a deficit. 
But no matter what the reaction tomorrow will be, Carol James will just be happy to table her party's first budget in a long, long time. Keith Baldry, Global News, Victoria. A school district in the B.C. interior is so desperate for teachers, it's posting jobs advertising no teaching certificate required. The teachers on call will be responsible for the same work as a certified teacher. Ramina Dea explains how that's possible and has reaction. The situation in School District 83 so grave, you don't even need to be a teacher to get a job. An advertisement on Facebook reads, looking to hire individuals without a teaching certificate to replace absent teachers in the North Okanagan shoe swap area. Applicants do need a university degree, experience working with children, and a criminal record check. This is unprecedented. The president of the BC Teachers Federation estimates five to 600 qualified on-call substitutes with teaching certificates are needed across BC. If this was any other profession, people wouldn't put up with it. It's not like you're just running a birthday party every day. Kids are supposed to be learning things. There has to be course content. The education minister says what's happening is not unusual. Under the School Act, non-certified teachers are allowed in your kids' classrooms, especially in smaller rural communities. But it's supposed to be an exception to the rule. What would disturb me is if it was, uh, if it became more of a trend uh, rather than an exception. Um, that's why we have worked really hard uh, right around the province with the Recruitment and Retention Task Force for Teachers. The situation, a dilemma for residents. Just because people have a degree doesn't mean they know how to, to teach. You're not going to take your truck to a mechanic that doesn't have any experience. I think it's a good idea if they are right for it and they, you know, they enjoy doing what they do. I think it's, you know, as long as the passion's there. Yeah. No one from District 83 was available for an interview. No statement was provided. About 3,500 teachers have been hired across the province since the 2016 Supreme Court of Canada decision restoring class sizes. The BCTF says the government needs to get real when it comes to recruitment because filling on-call teaching positions with any warm body can't become the norm. Ramina Dea, Global News. Right now, though, growing anger and frustration tonight over the city of Vancouver's new empty home tax. As Tanya Beja reports, homeowners are coming forward to complain they're being forced to pay a tax on homes that they actually live in part-time. Kelly Hayes is a registered midwife, delivering babies at St. Paul's and Vancouver Women's Hospitals. She stores her medical gear in her Vancouver condo, where Hayes lives up to three weeks every month. This is my home. This is what enables me to carry on in my career, to practice as a midwife. But according to Vancouver's vacancy tax bylaw, it's not her principal residence. The condo is in her husband's name. Their shared home is on Salt Spring Island. Hayes doesn't receive mail or bills here, so when it came time to fill out the empty homes tax declaration, city staff told Hayes and her husband they would have to pay. How did that leave you feeling? Baffled? Um, concerned, anxious, because what they're saying is we now owe $7,800 in tax for the year 2017 on top of our property tax, and we don't have that. 
Vancouver's empty homes tax is designed to ease the housing crisis by motivating owners of vacant homes to rent them out. But one councillor is putting forward a motion calling on the city to reevaluate and offer exemptions to owners who have become unintended targets. Well, I think that we have to consider special circumstances here. Uh, it seems ridiculous to me that we're charging an empty homes tax to people whose homes aren't empty. Hayes has consulted a lawyer and says she will have to get an affidavit to prove this is her residence. She feels the city rushed the program through without doing its research. I want you to show me the evidence that you have a right to penalize someone like myself in order to fix a problem that was not something I or most of us had anything to do with. The deadline for the empty homes tax declaration is March 5th. Tanya Beja, Global News. A rookie Vancouver councillor is announcing today that he's, give, he's gunning for the mayor's chair. NPA councillor Hector Bremner taking to social media to confirm he is seeking his party's mayoral nomination. Bremner was elected to Vancouver City Council in October in a by-election to replace Vision Vancouver's Jeff Meggs. Bremner is one of five potential NPA candidates seeking the nod to run for mayor. That race tentatively scheduled for late April. Like it or not, pay parking is coming to Spanish banks in Vancouver, although the city is modifying its plans in response to a significant public outcry. Back in November, the Park Board approved seasonal pay parking at Spanish banks, the last beach where it's still free. The rates kick in from April 1st to September 30th. A 10,000 signature petition has prompted the board, though, to delay the start of pay parking until the May long weekend. April will remain free, sorry, parking will remain free between 6 and 9 a.m. If you get there early, you can also buy an $87 peak season pass. We're being urged to put some money away if we haven't already. But for homeowners, is paying down the mortgage a better option for the future? John Hua talks, talks to the experts. It's the largest investment most people make in their lifetime. And the decision to buy a home often comes with serious debt. It was a scary time kind of going through and making that commitment. That's where mortgage broker Sherlock Yam comes in. Lumps on payments, extra payments, um, increasing regular payments. Plenty of ways to pay down that hefty mortgage faster. Only problem, that's not a priority for a lot of people. With interest rates being so low, I've been seeing more people look at other alternatives um, rather than paying off the mortgage aggressively. Andrew Cook and Batia Wan deciding to keep their mortgage payments to a minimum, using their extra cash to invest instead. I was, you know, saving um, from my, my full-time work and um, I was actively looking at opportunities. But with the Bank of Canada steadily creeping up interest rates, when should paying back what you owe become a priority? I think if someone is a, a conservative investor, avoiding interest is kind of like earning a rate of return on an investment. Um, it's a, a sure thing. As an example, meet our new homeowners, Jane and Joe Canuck. The couple have a combined income of $90,000, and that new house comes with a mortgage of $405,000. Now, if interest rates rose up to 5%, savings from paying off debt would be about the same as the money they'd make through moderate risk investments. And they ended up more or less 
in the same place at retirement. And I think that's a really important consideration. But risk tolerance isn't the only factor when opting for retirement savings. If somebody were making a, a higher income, like seventy-five dollars or $100,000 or more, those are the people that are going to benefit that much more from making an RSP contribution over debt repayments. For what Jane and Joe Canuck earn, this financial expert says bringing down the mortgage is a safe bet. I think it's really important for anyone who has started borrowing money or investing money in the last five to ten years to realize it's been a real abnormal period. So if mortgage rates are rising and the rate of returns on investments start to dip, for many paying down debt might be more attractive heading into the future. John Hua, Global News, Vancouver. Well, it's not often that plans for a new hotel in a city that relies heavily on tourism is controversial. But in Penticton wine country on the Naramata bench, a proposed new boutique hotel has some of the locals a little upset. Global Okanagan, Shelby Tom reports. It's going to be a very high-end hotel. The owner of Penticton's Poplar Grove Winery wants to get into the accommodation business. We have, I think now, 35 or more wineries on the bench. And if we can get people sort of staying up here, I suspect we can get them going right down the bench and, and enjoying this beautiful area. Tony Holler is proposing to build a 20-unit hotel on this 1.5-acre property adjacent to the winery and overlooking Okanagan Lake. About a third of the property is in the Agricultural Land Reserve, but Holler says it's never been farmed. And that's because the, the bedrock coming off Munson Mountain goes down this slope. And that's why it's never been used for agriculture before. The project is drawing the ire of some neighbours. Chris Bull and his wife moved to the area 12 years ago because of the rural feel. We don't think that a big five-storey hotel is going to fit in with that at all. He's also concerned about the loss of ALR land. We realize that it's only a small piece of land that they're taking out of the reserve, but it certainly sets a precedent. If you, if you know, it's death by a thousand cuts. Catherine Rubley owns a home and an apple orchard nearby. She started this online petition against the project. We feel that a hotel is not an appropriate use of this area. This project is far from a done deal. The wineries applied to the Agricultural Land Commission and the City of Penticton for alternate use and zoning amendments. We're just starting. This is the very beginning. Some neighbors hoping to put a cork in the proposal, vowing not to give up without a fight. We've got the most marvelous piece of heaven here, and uh, it would be nice to keep it that way. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Enough is enough! Not one more! Student protest in Plantation, Florida, not far from the school where a gunman killed 17 people in a school last week, demanding stricter gun control. The protests coming as friends and family laid two more victims to rest. Meantime, the family who gave the suspect, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, a place to live for the last three months are speaking out. And they're wondering what signs or hints they might have missed. Confessed gunman Nicholas Cruz keeping his eyes and head down in court today. This, as a leaked 2016 state report reveals, Cruz received psychiatric evaluations after he posted a video on Snapchat in which he cut himself and said he wanted to buy a gun. The Nick we knew was not the monster he turned out to be. The Sneed family says they knew nothing about those reports when they took Cruz into their home just three months ago after his mother died. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out if something should have said in my head, you know, I maybe should have paid more attention, and I can't put it out. It was a completely normal week. 
Hey, he, he told me two weeks ago it's the happiest he's ever been. James and Kimberly Sneed gave Cruz a room when their son said the teenager had nowhere else to live. When he moved into your house, did you know he had an AR-15 or any guns? I knew he had weapons, yes, sir. And that was acceptable? I'm not afraid of guns. I respect guns. But part of the, part of the stipulation for him moving in is he had to get a gun safe. And he did. And I, I thought at that time that I had the only key to the gun safe. Investigators are now reviewing approximately 20 calls deputies received about Cruz over the last few years. And Florida Governor Rick Scott has called for the FBI to release all details surrounding the Bureau's failure to take action after receiving a call just last month detailing Cruz could become a suspected shooter. Lots of anger and guilt. Tonight, the Sneed's lawyer says some are already blaming them for not knowing. Is there something we missed? Is there something we could have done? Uh, we don't know. We have no clue. We, we, don't know, we don't know what put him in this state. We knew he was depressed. You know, we didn't realize he was just lost, though. A new ice cave discovered in Iceland is being celebrated as both breathtaking and dangerous. The spectacular cave is in the third largest glacier in the country and has become very popular. But visitors are being advised to stay out because the cave was formed by geothermal heat, meaning there could be dangerous gases inside. There's also a high risk the ice could collapse. In Health Matters tonight, European scientists say they've taken the first steps towards developing a blood test for autism. Their study found that children with autism have higher levels of protein damage in their blood plasma. They hope the findings could one day lead to an earlier diagnosis of the condition, but caution that much more research is needed to confirm these early results. The evidence is piling up that we are polluting our oceans with many different contaminants. But there are still many unanswered questions when it comes to exactly how that's affecting marine life. As Linda Aylesworth reports, Canadian scientists have been given new funding to find answers that could affect government policy for years to come. Most aquatic contaminants are invisible to the naked eye, but no ocean in the world is free of them, and no marine creature untouched by them. And what have we been doing about it? Aquatic pollution or environmental pollution research uh, in Canada has withered over the last two decades, and uh, it suffice to say that as an environmental uh, toxicologist, I'm concerned. But today at the Federal Fisheries and Oceans Laboratories in West Vancouver, some encouraging news, $2.7 million towards better understanding the problem. To conduct single and multi-year research projects on aquaculture medicines, pesticides and other contaminants including microplastics. This one jumps out the way it's so uh, regular and slightly shiny. Microplastics come in many forms. This fiber from water samples collected in the Arctic is less than the width of a human blood cell. 90 percent of the plastics that you find suspended in ocean water are actually um, pieces from polyester garments or nylon garments. Which leads us to today's second announcement, a $1.3 million partnership between Fisheries and Oceans and the Vancouver Aquarium's Ocean Pollution Research Program, now joined under one roof and dedicated to the issue of microplastics will accelerate our collective ability to understand what's going on, why certain things are happening, where the threats are, and what we can do about those. An example of plastic would be this black 
fragment here. A lot of the research is being carried out on the smallest marine inhabitants. What we want to determine is are mussels ingesting plastic? And if so, does that plastic stay inside their body cavity or are they able to expel it? It's important because everything at the bottom of the food chain eventually works its way up to the top. It really behooves us to think a little bit more about the unwitting recipients of all of our pollution. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Shades of the city of Vancouver's logo controversy after the forecast will tell you how much the Yukon government is spending to change its logo and why the opposition is slamming it. That's in a moment. But first, let's check in with our Christy Gordon now for a look at our forecast. Uh, Cold right now and not getting much better over the next few days. That's right. So we're not going to see a change until the weekend. Even then, we're not going to make our way back up to our average of a high of 8 degrees. These are your overnight lows. Just a reminder, these are the regular temperatures, but the feels like you can drop these by another 3 to 4 degrees. But we have nothing to complain about. Those of you in the interior, from Prince George right down to Quinell into the Chilcotin region, you can expect wind chills closer to minus 30, minus 40 degrees, and up through the inland sections of the north coast down to minus 20 overnight tonight. So it is certainly going to be cold. We have a chance of flurries to morning hours tomorrow all along the east coast of Vancouver Island down to Nanaimo, not as far south as Victoria, but extending into Port Alberni and Tofino as well, moving in from the northeast. Very light flurries, no accumulations expected, but uh, certainly you can expect uh, some flakes in the sky. For the lower mainland, we have a chance of flurries on Wednesday, but we talked about that next patient's expected, but uh, certainly you can expect uh, some flakes in the sky. For the lower mainland, we have a chance of flurries on Wednesday. Wednesday, but we talked about that next big snow event. It's not until the end of the week. And of course, you need to keep tuning back in and we'll be able to refine low level clouding through the valleys and through the southern parts of the province. But otherwise, plenty of sunshine for our region. Just that chance of flurries along the east coast of Vancouver Island, extending over to Tofino. So sunshine tomorrow, a chance of flurries for the lower mainland Wednesday. Very, very light. Back to sunshine Thursday, cold and clear, very frosty in the morning. So you need to give your, still give yourself a little bit of time to be able to scrape your windshield, but there's that snow event expected on Friday. Tons of birthdays tonight. Marguerite, Marguerite Rolston celebrating 100 years. Michael Bahan, as well as another uh, Utegaard celebrating 100 years and Laura McNaughton. And I'll s- leave you with this photo from Burnaby Mountain. Grant Matisse took this, and this guy, I tried to get his name, but I wasn't able to get uh, Grant to send me a note back in time. But this guy howling, he looks like he's the king of the world there in the new snowfall. Beautiful view from up there. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, remember the big controversy over Vancouver Council's plans to spend $8,000 on a new city logo? The controversy forced the city to drop the whole idea. No such problem in the Yukon, where the government is spending about a half million dollars replacing its old logo and launching a new website. The old logo featured the word Yukon with a stylized sun and mountain over the K and the phrase larger than life underneath. And here's the new logo. Aside from the word Yukon in a slightly different font, it's hard to tell the difference. The official opposition is questioning the decision to spend half a million on the redesign and website, but the government insists it will actually save money by eliminating multiple logos currently used by different departments. (laughs) Moving the mountains with the sun over one letter. Well, they cha- I mean, I know no there was a lot more to it, and it's, <laughs> it just doesn't. It's just the optics of that seem 
a little. Why does it cost that much money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do I get? Sure. <laughs> and how do you get that job? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Double J is in for a square. What are you? Just the things that we say during the commercial mm. break. Sometimes there should be a camera, or not. It was. A conversation. Squire's watching the ice feet dance. Gross, or aren't they? Squire's watching the ice dance. That's why I'm here. Uh, of course. Yes. Oh, of course. You can't be pulled away from the TV yeah. at this moment. Test the virtue, Scott Martin. Yeah, no kidding. Bring on the gold. Um, to hockey, though, he lost his front teeth in Tampa Bay. Was sporting a fat lip all last week, and he threw his weight around against the Sharks, banging his way to team leading and game high five hits. Sounds like stats for Derek Dorsett, not this guy, Daniel Sedin. It's a side to Daniel we really haven't seen a lot of. See what he has in store for the Avs tomorrow when Vancouver hosts Colorado. Last Thursday against San Jose, Daniel Sedin decided to live life as a power forward. He did something he has never done before. He led the Canucks in hits. Not hits taken, but hits delivered. What possessed someone so mild-mannered to go shark hunting? Did someone insult Henrik? No, not really. I think... uh... It was a game probably that uh, hasn't happened that often, but it, it happens, so uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. And while some were amused by Daniel's hit parade, the coach saw a much deeper meaning. Leadership. You know, we've been talking to our team a lot about how we need to play, and the, your will to win has to come from within yourself a lot. And, uh, you know, that's leadership right there. The five-hit game has been part of a revival for Daniel Sedin of late. But the Canucks have been quite happy with both twins all season, despite playing them less than ever. They understand the game, and they don't take offense to things at all. Uh, they're extremely smart when it comes to hockey and hockey sense and how the game's played, and you know, almost like coaches. Now, we still don't know for sure if the Twins wish to play next year or not. The feeling is they will come back for one more season. But regardless, they refuse to be hanger-ons, guys who just want to pick up a check. Yeah, I think for both me and Henrik, uh, we go out the re- every game uh, uh, playing the same way. And uh, I think that's something we, we take a lot of pride in. Well, these guys are Hall of Fame players, and that's definitely part of it. Um, accountability, wanting to just wanting to win and play their best all the time, not taking days off. Those are all qualities that Hall of Fame guys have. Afternoon hockey in Cowtown. Yes, family day in Alberta. Flames are hosting the Boston Bruins. Bruins still bruised up after the Canucks smacked them around 6-1 on the weekend. They were leading 1-0 when the Flames tied up on the power play. Matthew Kachuk's Watson is 22nd. Oli Ulevi, by the way, six goals, 11 assists in 33 games for his Finnish club. They would go to overtime, and Brad Marchand wins it. Bruins, 2-1 winners, second in the Atlantic Division. Final week of the Winter Olympics, and there's a golden hue to the town of Summerland. This after native son Justin Cripps and his brakeman Alex Kopach raced their way to a gold medal in two-man bobsleigh earlier today. Cripps entered the day one-tenth of a second out of a gold medal position. Ended up being a dead heat with the Germans, both Canada and Germany taking a page out of Stone Cold Steve Austin's playbook. The gold medal winning identical time, 316.86. JD's all over that one. Even more drama, though. Uh, Cripps' sled was the last to go. Knew what he had to do trailing the Germans, and Canada delivers. Of course, two decades ago, Pierre Luders won gold in the exact same way. Canada and Italy shared gold back then. Bottom line, Canada winning another gold. Women's hockey team easily handling Russia. 5-0 shutout victory over the Olympic athletes from Russia. Canada 
and the Americans playing for gold yet again. Americans winning gold in 1998. Our ladies haven't lost an Olympic game since then. They've won four straight gold medals. They'll be riding a 24-game winning streak heading into Wednesday night's gold medal hockey game. So here's the standings. The Norwegians continue to lead the way with 11 gold, 28 medals in total. Fingers crossed, though. Hopefully, Cassie Sharp from Comox wins a gold in the next few minutes in women's ski, slope ski, half pipe, not to mention Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. So that medal total should be bumped up in the next few minutes. Fifth round of the FA Cup. Sergio Aguero in Manchester City facing Wigan. What a rough ride for Aguero in City. Gets wiped out on this hard tackle. It's all studs. No cards showing. City was forced to play the entire second half with 10 men after Fabian Delfa's red carded. Only goal of the match right here. 79th minute by Will Gregg. The fans invaded the pitch. At the end of the match, Wiggins facing some serious discipline action because Sergio Aguero was apparently attacked by a Wiggins supporter, punched in the face. So no shot at the quadruple for them. We'll see what happens with Wiggins. Forget about where is the love. I got a feeling... Fergie will never sing the national anthem again, at least not how she delivered it last night at the NBA's All-Star Game because it was no boom-boom-pow. Fergie's jazzed-up rendition not only stopped the party, it's one social media just can't get enough of. If you missed it, we'll pump it up for you. And a warning, shield your pet's ears. She says she tried her best. She says she, she just tried her best. She put a lot into it. Didn't work, though. Here is today's snow report. A cold, mostly clear day today and again tomorrow for the mountains. Whistler, Black Coma, base of 307 centimeters. Grouse, 400. Cypress, 395. Sasquatch, 329. Revelstokes base is 270. Manning Park, 209. Powder King, 261. Mount Washington, 259. In the southern interior, the base at Big White, 295 centimeters. 257 at Silver Star. Sun Peaks, 230. And Apex, 258. An Edmonton boy is on his way to the competition that's known as the Olympics of Violin. Now, he's just 13 years old, but you'll forget all about age as soon as he picks up his bow. I've been recently accepted to the finals of the Menuhin International Violin Competition in Geneva, Switzerland. It's beyond my wildest dreams. I never expected to have been accepted to this as there were over 317 entries throughout the competition and it's just a dream come true. It's the start of everything. It, can, it, it makes or breaks where you're going to head and what you're going to do. 
There will be uh, performance opportunities with wonderful world-class musicians, uh, touring world-class locations. We put a violin in his hand when he was two years old and he took to it like uh, nobody's business. The sound is just gorgeous and divine. The repertoire, the vast repertoire is unbeatable. The concertos, the sonatas, they're just, they're written from God. They're just incredible. There's so many things that make up a great musician. And he has so many, many aspects to that. He's determined, he's passionate, he's driven. No musician that I've ever heard of has a bio like he has already at 13 years old. Uh, so I'm very proud of him. I just want him to do well and I want him to feel good about what he's doing, regardless of the outcome. I mean, I, I already told him he, he's already won.